Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is my interview with the director for The Pigeon Tunnel, Errol Morris. You asked me about the nature of our relationship. I needed to know who I was talking to. Were you my friend across the fire? Who are you? And if I can't answer that question? It's terribly difficult to recruit for a secret service. You're looking for somebody who's a bit bad, but at the same time loyal. There's a type, and I fitted perfectly. In your memoir, you say none of it's true. It's as I imagined it. When I was in MI6, it wasn't enough for me. So what I did was reinvent the secret world and fill my own people with it. Why is betrayal an important concept to you? It has a long family background. Writing is a journey of self-discovery. I see my own life as a succession of embraces and escapes. Maybe this is an interrogation. Maybe I am self-deceived. I don't know. But I'll answer any question you wish me to answer as truthfully as I can. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Next Best Picture podcast. I am being joined right now by Academy Award-winning documentarian filmmaker Errol Morris here. Errol, how are you today? I'm okay, thank you. This is such a pleasure. Uh, You are obviously... Very well recognized uh, within the community uh, of Thin Blue Line, uh, obviously a masterpiece, The Fog of War, countless others. You've uh, executive produced a number of great documentaries as well. And now with The Pigeon Tunnel, telling the life story of a man who traditionally does not want people knowing his life story or his secrets for that matter. That's not true. (laughs) It's absolutely not true. Somehow I hear this again and again. A man who's never been interviewed, he's interviewed endlessly. I'm not the only person to ever interview John le Carré. I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek here, of course. (laughs) He also has written so many, do you call them semi-autobiographical novels or just straight autobiographical novels? He injects a little bit of himself into each story that he tells, right? I mean, they come from a personal place, as your documentary illustrates. Yes. He's very, very forthcoming about how his own life experiences has informed his work over the years. Yes. So I'm curious to know, in a way, as a documentarian filmmaker, do do your life experiences also determine the types of stories that you tell? How wouldn't they? I'm not, you know, a bot. (laughs) I'm presumably, I don't want to be presumptuous here, presumably I'm a human being with feelings, Yep. and my life does relate to what I do. Yeah. So why this story? Why this man? Why was it time to tell John le Carre's story as you told it here? Apple wanted to pay for it. <laughs> that I can imagine. Is your first time working with a streaming service, if, I, if I'm, am I, no. am I getting that correct? No. no. Okay. 
I've uh, made all kinds of things for Netflix. I did Wormwood for Netflix. That Wormwood, you know what? That's my fault. I forgot about that one. You're right. You're right. But this is your first time working with Apple, though. In a way, no, it's not because it's not very well known. I did the first iPhone commercials. And here I am right now with my iPhone 15 Pro. Amazing how far we've come. <laughs> no, I worked uh, for Steve Jobs. Probably I directed literally hundreds of commercials for Apple. Well, here with this movie, to, uh, The Pigeon Tunnel, I would like to know, first and foremost, of a decision to have it centered so much on uh, – John, I, I, does he prefer if we call him John Le Carre or if we prefer that we call him by his real name? You know, like, how should I refer to him throughout this interview, would you say? Well, I ended up calling him David. I knew him as David Cornwell. Yeah. But people called him John Le Carre. Yeah. Well, I don't know him as David personally, so I'll stick with John Le Carre in this case. Either way. I'll know what you're talking about. Yes. He gives you unlimited access. Ask me anything, basically. And you're sitting across from him throughout this entire documentary, listening to him tell these stories. Was the decision always to have it focus solely on him and not include other interviews? Or was that something that... These things don't happen by accident. Right. I mean, I made a decision years ago to make films that had one person in them. Mm-hmm. Fog of War has Robert S. McNamara. The Unknown yep. Known has Donald Rumsfeld. American Dharma has Stephen K. Bannon. Mm-hmm. And nobody else. Because early on, I thought, what are we interested in? Are we interested in how other people see the protagonist or the central figure? Or are we interested in how the protagonist or the central figure see themselves? Mm-hmm. So you're asking me, did I want to interview other people and somehow they weren't available? No, I was always intended to be a movie with John le Carre, period. And the movie is stronger for it, of course. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but it's a decision you make. Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about, with this movie, the score, because I uh, particularly love the use of Philip Glass's music, Paul Leonard Morgan also working on this as well. I love how the music gives the film such propulsive momentum and energy throughout those if you are watching a thriller in, unfold through your very eyes through this man's life story. Well, that's really nice to hear. Thank you. Yeah. Paul Leonard Morgan is someone who I have worked with repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did a collaboration with Philip Glass. Philip Glass is someone who I also have worked with repeatedly. Philip Glass did The Thin Blue Line, The Brief History of Time. And they had worked together on a series, Tales from the Loop. And I asked Philip and Paul if they could do it, they could work together for this project. And the answer was yes, mercifully. Yes. (laughs) So a great collaboration. Philip was here at Lincoln Center for the premiere at Alice Tully Hall. I got to see Philip again, which was, for me, quite wonderful. That's lovely. I'm a fan. (laughs) As many are. As many are. 
Uh, this is also a documentary that um, I, I was saying before has like that propulsive momentum to it. It moves. It really, really moves in a thrilling manner. And at a brisk 94 uh, minutes long, curious to know just from an editing standpoint, because how much footage would you say you had with uh, Lacare when when before you even got to editing? Like how, how many hours of uh, footage would you say you had with him? Probably at least, I would say, 17, 18 hours. So how does one distill that down then to 94 minutes? <laughs> well, there's no algorithm. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not bots. You sit down and you work on yeah. the material and yeah. you carve it up. Yeah, I, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, in that sense, though, is there just are, – are you looking for the pieces that seem most interesting on their own or are you trying to piece together individual stories to tell one continuous story, if you will? Like, like what is the approach there? Well, a friend of mine once described editing as keeping the good stuff and taking out the bad stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that pretty much captures it probably better than anything. I would say so. I knew that there are stories that are really important to me and to this whole process of making a movie about John le Carre. I love mm-hmm. the story of the Pigeon Tunnel itself. I love the story of Rudolf Hess's flight to Scotland in 1941, the inmost room. There are all of these parables and stories that he tells scattered throughout. And it was finding a through line. Yeah all of this that would keep uh, the narrative going. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And you, and you have to know, obviously, that there are audience members who are taking their own experiences in with them through either movies that have been adapted from his work or his written work itself, obviously. Sure. So what then are you like? Because there are people that are John le Carre obs- obsessives out there. What what is like your intention ultimately with the doc, uh, both for beginners and for experts? Capture something of the man and explore themes that interested him and interested me. Yeah, I mean he's like uh, the strange writer, like Kafka of parables, mm-hmm. and the pigeon tunnel being the perfect example of a parable. Mm-hmm. It could have come straight out of Kafka, but doesn't. It comes out of Le Carre. Yeah. And he's a person who thinks um, about the world in terms of stories and parables. And to capture that and to make a connection between that and his work seems to be what the movie is all about. Yeah. I made this connection between The Pigeon Tunnel and my favorite Le Carre novel, The Spy Who Came In From The Cold, mm-hmm. and I think it, it's something that helps to illuminate both. Yeah. What would you say was one thing that stood out to you, whether it was in the moment or maybe in the editing room, whatever it was, where you had that sudden realization of, 
I didn't know this. Oh my God, this is new information. This is amazing. I would say there's lots and lots and lots of stuff in the movie that falls in that mm-hmm. category. But was there one in particular that really stood out to you? My growing realization that he was not a nihilist. He was not a cynic. He truly believes in right and wrong, in good and yeah. evil. His story is about Philby yeah. not wanting to meet Philby in the Soviet Union. His stories of infiltrating a communist group at Oxford University and then betraying them. Yeah, These are all very powerful stories about belief, ethics, conviction, morality. Mm-hmm. And I, I loved making this movie. Yeah. I like to think that I make movies because maybe I could learn something. And I learned an enormous amount making this one. No, I mean, you've you've said now, uh, both here and a little while ago, you want to tell stories that interest you and also stories that um, you want to learn something from. And I think that most filmmakers I speak to, at least, if the story is interesting to them or they're getting something out of it, stands to reason that an audience will also get something out of it in the end. Yes. So I think that's a great way to approach it, ultimately. With that said, at this stage in your career, has anything like changed as far as stories that you are interested in telling, or has it always been consistent? I know before you were talking about your style of how you film your subjects and that, that level of consistency. Um, have you? Would you say there's anything that's like changed in recent years at all about how you approach storytelling? Uh, it's been an evolution of so many diverse things. One of the great things about doing the kinds of films that I make is you get to reinvent filmmaking for yourself each time you make a movie. Yeah. And that's what I love the most about it. I have another movie that's nearing completion that'll probably be in the festivals uh, early next year. Nice. Uh, I have a drama that I'm finishing the script on, something that I've wanted to make for years and years and years, my movie about Ed Gein, and oh, wow. that's ready to go. So, yeah, I plan to continue making films. What else am I going <laughs> to do with myself? I, I didn't expect anything less, that's for sure. I'm really happy to hear that you already have uh, for projects already ready to go. I know that this has been a very trying time for the industry in many aspects. Um, sure. Documentary filmmaking, though, uh, you know, able to get a lot of post-production done during this time. And, you know, that's 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 very encouraging to hear uh, coming from you. So that's awesome. I'm really, really looking forward to that, whenever that might be. Well, thank you. Um, and then also, too, um, as we, you know, wrap up here a little bit, can you just tell me a bit about um, – I understand this is going to be released by Apple. It'll be available on the streaming uh, platform, obviously, for people to watch. I know that uh, I've had some friends already inquire about it. They're massive fans of Lacare's work. But just tell me a little bit about bringing it to festivals, seeing it with an audience, and the feeling of that versus knowing it will be available like on streaming. Do you see it as a good thing? Do you see it as just something different? How do you view it? Well, streaming has changed everything. Mm-hmm. I certainly could not possibly pretend otherwise. Has it been completely for the good? Uh, By and large, yes. This film probably as a result of being on Apple, uh, Wormwood being on Netflix, was probably seen by more people than any of my other films. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a way of getting your work before the public 
on a massive level that yeah. was not really possible before. So for that, I'm truly grateful. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I feel like documentary films in general have had such a massive surge in interest over the last, what, five, six, seven years or so. Yes. And I think a large reason for that is because they are so widely available via streaming. So no. good things, obviously. Hats off to streaming. I don't have one, yeah. but if I did, hats off to streaming. <laughs> Well, Errol, I, I want to thank you so much for giving us some insight here into the Pigeon Tunnel. It is going to be available uh, through Apple, um, I believe, what is it, October 20th? I believe that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for your time here. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. Take care. Take care. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with the director for The Pigeon Tunnel, Errol Morris, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. The Pigeon Tunnel will be released on Apple TV Plus on October 20th. You have been listening to The Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you all so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.